we've got a really unique working culture here. It's, it's, it is a blend of European and US, you know, influenced work culture. So it, it does lend itself to innovation. Like we, you know, we see, we've seen here over the years, a lot of brands who've set up here with a small R and D up, you know, like, you know, 50, 60 people max. And there's, you know, hundreds of people working here now. Like, so there's an, an ROI that comes from product and services delivered from Ireland that is more than the cost, you know, that they, they, they incur to operate. Thursday, the 17th of March is St. Patrick's Day. And to celebrate that fact, we are taking a short trip across the Irish Sea, pop in with David Burke from WorkHuman and talk all things Irish. The second half of the show has a slightly different tone. Talking to Jim Tiller, our group CISO, we're discussing the cyber attacks perpetrated by Russia on Ukraine and how they're changing modern warfare. This is Tech Talks, your weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, brought to you by the Harvey Nash Group, where we talk to leaders from across the industry. Thursday is St. Patrick's Day, and to celebrate that fact, I've got two English people on the podcast. Hello. Hello. Are you going to be going out and collecting Guinness hats? No, mate. I left uni 12 years ago. I've <laughs> never had Guinness. Whatever. What? No. Is it nice? I've had a baby Guinness. What's a baby Guinness? It's Kahlua and Bailey's. It's yeah, it's so so not Guinness at all. <laughs> not no, Guinness, it but just, it's very nice. It, it looks like a Guinness in a in a shot glass. Yeah, um, it's, it's like separate. Weren't, weren't you consuming those last week? Maybe. Guilty. Guilty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Have you not tried a Guinness? Is it sweet? No. No, no it's definitely not sweet. <laughs> I mean, you can make it sweet if you put blackcurrant in it, I guess. I've seen people do that, but yeah. yeah. I once went on a, uh, on a stag do to Belfast where the best man decided to tell us that we were only allowed to drink Guinness or Murphy's for the entire three days. How did that end? Stomach, your stomach must have been doing all kinds of. Oh, it was horrible, tricks, mate. Yeah, <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> have you been to Dublin? Anyone been to Dublin um, or Ireland for that matter? Done the old Guinness tour. Got got my. Uh, Is it good? Yeah, got my mug. Uh, whatever they do on it, painted, sprayed, hmm. maneuvered on top of the the head. Um, walked around the distillery part of it yeah does it taste different from having it in england fresher fresher i don't know how you i don't know how you would quantify that but yeah i was in high spirits at uni we were on it we were on a cricket tour funnily enough of dublin uh we played at trinity college mm. which is very nice yeah, yeah. yeah um i i reckon it tasted better when we were there yeah see at uni i never used to drink guinness it was a uh, it was something i discovered when i left uni because at uni I was too busy drinking VK Tropicals, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever play Traffic Lights with VK Cherry, yeah. Apple and yeah. <laughs> yeah, Orange? No. Yeah. What? Well, hang didn't. on, what would dictate drinking the individual ones? Well, think about Traffic Lights. Red, yellow, green. Yeah, but you wouldn't stand in front of Traffic Lights and drink them. You're applying far too much logic oh, here okay. to university drinking. Hang on, <laughs> you just take it in turns to drink the... Did Someone it... just shouted "Stop! Wait and go!" and you would. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it wasn't. It wasn't particularly. I thought it was clever. like a drinking game, like when you hear something on a show and then you have to drink. No, it was a very oh. poor drinking game. It was just lots of VK. Good yeah. drinks, anyway. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> there is a lot more to Ireland than drinking. We're not doing a. We're, we're probably falling into the stereotypes of what the English think about the Irish, which is 
totally unfair. And you know what? We've got a guest on the show that's going to put that right. We've got David Burke, head of talent uh, from Work Human. We'll hand over to the interview and we'll come back in a moment. So today I'm talking to David Burke. Uh, David, you are at Work Human, but you're also actually a former member of the Harvey Nash Group. So that's Indeed. quite nice to have an alumni of, of the organization <laughs> on the show. Some great years there. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we are super busy, but, you know, all exciting growth stuff. So no complaints at all, you know, bar all the craziness going on in the world, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I said you're at work, human. Uh, before anything else, what what do you do for them and, and who are they? Yeah, so I am I head up the uh, talent acquisition and employer brand um, functions here. So who are we? We're the world's best kept secret, Dave. We're, we're a, a 25 or 20 year old scale up, I guess. So uh, we've been around for some time, but just uh, the last few years have, have been phenomenal for us. I guess what we do, um, you know, the, the, the taglines are we, we help companies build, you know, um, cultures of gratitude and, and recognition. What does that mean in reality for people who aren't in the HR space? We're basically helping HR and business leaders solve, you know, one of the most important or pressing problems they have right now, which is like, how do we connect people in a disconnected world? You know, now, now that all these, you know, working practices have changed, how do we foster belonging and connectivity and, you know, as a consequence of that, promote happiness and inclusion and belonging, which we all know are key uh, indicators for productivity and performance as well. So, so we're in the happiness business, I guess, is a nice way of looking at it. And is it as simple as the last two years have been quite difficult? People have felt quite lonely and isolated and they need to be happy. And we've moved to a more kind of, you know, flexible, distributed working environment that has meant that that, that 25-year-old company suddenly is scale up. Suddenly there's demand and a, and a slightly different way of working. And, and that way, that is where that's come from. Yeah, to, like to a degree. I mean, our, our CEO was an early pioneer of, of, you know, social recognition as a movement. So, you know, we've always been championing this. And I guess there was a a perception that the US was a little bit ahead of, of Europe, perhaps in, in terms of a market for this. Um, so, you know, the business has performed really well, but I guess that, you know, uh, a bit like something like video adoption, right? In however you want to use it, it has just supercharged, you know, that that um, that mass adoption and it has just made it, you know, just jump this, this problem to the top of people's lists, um, you know, as a consequence of the world being disrupted in the way that it, it has been. So a bit of both, I guess, you know. So look, you're in HR and you said there you're in the happiness business, which sounds really nice. Um, but on your website, you talk about the fact that you can dramatically uh, cut turnover of, mm. of your clients and, and that those solutions are really helping, which is, is you know, quite quite a, a, a statement from a, from a business perspective. Yeah. Um, so the happiness piece obviously has some, some metrics and numbers underlining it. How can you do that? How does the, the solution actually work? Well, people don't tend to leave jobs when they're happy, right? So like, fundamentally, that's it. But no, being a bit facetious there, I guess. So how we deliver, you know, the, the services for our customers is a combination of things. It's the software, um, which I'll come on to in a sec. But it's also uh, data and insights and some strategy and consulting as well. So as a consequence of that, we, we've got a lot of data in terms of, of why this works, right? So um, we released a report a couple of weeks ago. It's on the website if people want to download it. But it's kind of a state of the nation, you know, two years into to hybrid working. And some really kind of interesting, um, you know, data that came out of that. But but essentially, you know, people are more connected to their colleagues than 
than the business. So essentially, you know, we, we know this people are culture. So how we go about this from a customer perspective is is by, uh, you know, three things, I guess. It's it's thank, talk and celebrate. Right. So our product end to end, the first component is is social recognition. So what does that mean? People all immediately think social media, but it's not that it's it's looking at a business like a society and it's creating a mechanism through the software, through the platform that allows people to call out, you know, thanks. So, you know, it could be something as small as, you know, you've I've got a deadline, you've jumped in and helped me with something, you know, you've helped me out or it could be a, a, a large strategic project we're working on. So so we map the um the the processes onto the culture pillars in the business and give people a really easy mechanism to to just say thanks right and it sounds really really simple now that thanks uh, comes with rewards so people you know um accumulate points on that and we've got a, a huge e-commerce um engine on the back of our platform that allows people to to redeem those points you know um so it's you know the the thanking experience the gratitude experience is embedded in a in a physical reward or an experience reward so you know it just it makes the whole thing real for people so when you when you start to say thanks you you notice some interesting things happening you know people feel appreciated they feel like they belong you know they feel like they matter so you know all of these things um we know lead to you know increased productivity increased retention because people feel celebrated they feel like they belong and you can extend that out then into areas like you know diversity and inclusion where People are being celebrated for all sorts of things. It's not just the job they do, but it's the whole human, you know, what they bring to, to the business every day, what they bring to the team every day. So it just, it, it opens, um, you know, or it shines a light rather on, you know, the whole human and the whole human experience in a, in a working environment. And that's what people are are missing, I think. You know, people are disconnected yeah. in a way that they, they never were before. So that's the first component. The second is, is, is um, talk. So we've got a, a continuous assessment um component or our module to to the platform so we we don't do annual assessments here we don't you know we advise our customers not to so those performance um conversations happen in real time called them check-ins so you know every week bi-weekly we're, we're you know we're working in a much more agile way and on a more you know kind of uh, mature way about how we talk about performance how we talk about delivery you know how we talk about the work so you know getting people to talk in real time um, you know, helps us pivot, helps us be more agile, but also it helps people just feel like they're making progress. You know, the the, the more traditional approach to like, you know, let's sit down in November and, and get together and talk about all the things we agreed we'd do in January and how are we getting on with them. You know, it's kind of it's getting harder and harder to keep track of that stuff over those types of time frames. So talking more regularly is the second component. And then the third one is celebrate. So it's, it's it's life events. You know, we're we're all humans like, you know, I. I have a job, I have tasks I need to complete, but, you know, I have I have a family, maybe I've bought a new house, you know, maybe it's my birthday, maybe I got engaged. So through the platform, we've got a, a whole community um, element through the celebrations module, which, um, you know, allows people to celebrate those those life events. There was a lot of puppies acquired during uh, the the pandemic, for sure. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's just giving people a window into the whole human and just connecting people on it on a, a deeply personal way. And and that's important now because, you know, all those moments of connection, you know, with the water cooler is a cliche for sure, right? But, you know, on the way from the kitchen back from the meeting, you know, with them gone, how are we learning about people that we work with instead of just the work they do? It's funny that you use the analogy of society for a company because a lot of people look at society and say that it's changed and they 
don't recognize it or they feel scared or they feel isolated. Mm. And there might be an element of people going back into offices and there are people there that they've never actually met in person. Mm. Um, is that driving a greater need um, to celebrate, to talk? And that's being, that's being recognized at the top. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I've listened to a Brene, a Brene Brown podcast a few weeks ago and she's termed it the great awkward. It's going back to the office and I, I, we've been going back in ourselves and and it is, it's funny. Like I, I had actually started with a business and, and left, you know, at the start of the pandemic and 15 months in, it was a really enjoyable experience Some brilliant people, but I, I had that 2D onboard, offboard experience and, and it's not the same. It really isn't. So I think, you know, anything we can do to allow people to connect and, and be recognized, you know, can, can only help. And I think flexibility, like if we're talking about, you know, the home alone effect, my, you know, a colleague of mine has, has termed it. So I think, you know, when but like Kevin McAllister, you know, at the start of the pandemic, when everyone was gone, it was, you know, ice cream for lunch and, you know, <laughs> dancing around the table. But yeah. quite quickly that wears off and, you know, you, you miss your you miss your friends, you miss those connections and. And I think, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about career development, you know, and how, how people develop their careers, that, that internal network, those internal informal connections that you had to sound things out and explore opportunities elsewhere in the business, like in the absence of that, you know, we need to find a way to connect people in, in different ways. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, the world has changed and, you know, for the better, I think that, you know, the net consequence of all of this change hopefully will be from a work perspective anyway, certainly a focus on things that matter more to people, you know, and, and people being a little bit more in control of their own career des destiny in a way that they never were before. And yeah. so, you know, any any kind of facilitation for that or building a culture that supports that in a, in a more proactive way is, it can only be a good thing. So look, whilst the world is changing, some things don't change. And Thursday's the <laughs> 17th and is St. Patrick's Day. Um, <laughs> so just just as a quick aside, how do you feel as someone that's worked in the tech scene mm. as a recruiter now as a head as a head of talent in that tech scene in and around Dublin and around Ireland for a long time? What what do you think the prevailing feeling of the of the of the technology market is in Ireland at the moment? Well, I think first of all, I'm I'm getting out of Dublin for Paddy's Week or for Paddy's Day, and it's going to be that's that's a the sign of age. The party of all parties, I think. You know, actually, if, uh, kind of anecdotally, a, a number of people in my personal circle have had Christmas parties this week. So uh, you know, the, the the companies have just uh, taken the opportunity to get people together. So I yeah. mean, you know, uh, there's two answers to this, right? There's you know the the Ireland Incline, which is, you know, Ireland, Dublin, you know, well, it was Dublin, Cork, Galway, but, you know, with remote working and the acceleration of, of that as a as an option for people, you know, the talent in Ireland is phenomenal. The competition is fierce, though, really, really fierce. I mean, it, you know, it, it's it's as competitive as a London, but without the, the scale of the talent pools. So we've got, you know, all of the world's leading brands here, everyone you would expect to see, you know, you're digital native um, top tier brands, uh, all the, the big US and European, you know, tech companies are here. We have a phenomenal startup community as well. So, you know, we've got six uh, Irish unicorns now, you know, including Stripe, where everyone knows, which is the world's, you know, I believe largest privately valued company in, in operation at the moment. So we, we have a, a, a track record and a culture here of just some phenomenal incubation and, and innovation stories. So, you know, that sounds great, but from a talent acquisition perspective, that's a super competitive landscape, right? Because whatever it is you want to do, there's options here. You know, do you want to work for 
Amazon, Facebook, Google, TikTok. Yeah, of course. Do you want to work in, you know, a disruptive AI in healthcare? You got it. Do you want to do something out there? There's a brilliant company here in Ireland called Cantus, and they do facial recognition and drone technology for livestock herds. So huge, big farms in the States who want to track their livestock and, you know, get get to sick animals quickly and, and, and all that good stuff, you know, that we're building that here. We're building everything here. So it's, you know, it's a it's a hotbed for innovation. You know, opportunities are, are rife, but it is, it is ultra competitive. So here's a question. And as it's ultra competitive, you've said there about the strength of the startup scene. Is the tactic then, in your opinion, to take advantage of distributed working and saying, hey, well, look, we can hire people in Estonia or maybe they only need to come to Dublin once a month and we get small teams together on an occasional basis. Or is it to play up? No, this is a, a unique culture. This is somewhere special. Come and immerse yourself in it and keep strengthening the the, the um, startup scene in that way, even if it's a little bit of a harder sell and, and fierce to get that talent. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's like everything, there's not a, not a yes, no answer to that, right? I think... Some companies who, who really struggled to get the talent they wanted are certainly availing of the new talent pools that are available to them in a way they weren't before. They always were, but in a in more accessible way, you know, across Europe, that, that kind of following that talent flow eastwards. So there's definitely, you know, some companies who are who are um, benefiting from that. Um, but then there's businesses like ours who, who place, you know, a lot of importance on that in-person experience and you know tried to build something that they feel is is pretty unique so you know i think again it goes back to um you know the individual at the middle of all this the person you know so i think you know um a lot of people in ireland went home at the start of this pandemic to you know wherever they they, they had come from but a lot of people are coming and, and still come to the come to the country you know it's where the you love me for saying this. We're the last English-speaking country in Europe now. So if you want to immerse yourself in, <laughs> in, uh, I, I, we shouldn't get political. But if you if you want to get that English-speaking, you know, European work experience in a in a in a you know either a, a scaling or or um, established tech brand, you, you can do it here. Um, so I think you know, and and there's certain drivers for that. I think Ireland has one of the things that Ireland has that. You know, I mean, it's not underplay, but we don't talk about it a lot. Is that we've got a really unique working culture here. It's it it is a blend of European and US, you know, influenced work culture. So it it does lend itself to innovation. Like we, you know, we see we've seen here over the years a lot of brands who've set up here with a small R and D up. You know, like you know, fifty, sixty people max. And there's, you know, hundreds of people working here now. Like, so there's an, an ROI that comes from product and services delivered from Ireland that is more than the cost, you know, that they that they incur to operate. So we, we do have, you know, some special sauce here, I think. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Um, I hope that you do manage to escape the city then uh, later this <laughs> week. You mentioned about a report uh, that people could access from the website. What What's the web address? Yeah, if you just go to workhuman.com, um, and we've got an insight section there. So, there, there, you know, there's there's a plethora of information there if anyone's interested on on culture, belonging, engagement, um, and that happiness machine that we built. So, anyone wants to check that out um, or reach out to me directly, of course, they can. Great. Look, it's great to catch up with you, and and thanks for your time. Likewise. Thanks, Dave. Talk soon. Bye. Right. What stood out? I think the whole communication piece, really. 
it's good to hear that someone else has the same opinion as me kind of you know how communication is quite important how channels have gotten better um yeah and how important it is for for for, i don't want to say humans but people like you, you know um to have that peace so yeah it's just good to hear that really especially with now things trying to be back to normal uh you know, all, all kind of organisations and, and people, you know, trying to resume what we were doing post-2020 or pre-2020. So I think it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's still good to hear that organisations have moved on and there are a lot more processes and things in play. What do you think about this idea of the bit of the big awkward kind of, <laughs> kind of returning to the office and, oh yeah, there are these people that I don't really know very well. I think that's, I think that is a proper, for, for, you know, for, I can't say phenomenon, phenomenon, uh, where you walk into the office and it's like, oh, like this is the company that I've known for years and years and years. And at the same time, it's not the company that I've known for years and years and years, which Akish, you and I might have a completely different perspective, obviously, to Hannah on. Yeah. Because I joined I, I, I don't know. in the middle. Because yeah. you joined in the middle. In the middle of the pandemic, so I didn't really know anybody. And a lot of people don't have Teams pictures, so I wouldn't even know who I'd been talking to. So, How, e- how easy is it, is it been to, to get to know people yes, without but starting? To be fair, I haven't really held back on that. If I needed to talk to somebody, I'd just walk up to them or I'd just like video call them. So when we, when we're allowed to walk up to people in the office, I'd just be like, oh, hi. I'm I'm so and so. I don't think I know you. So, but for the yeah. people who are more shy, I think the points that David was making around celebration and talking are really good ones. Like we had internal awards a few weeks ago, and Kerry from Birmingham seemed genuinely touched with her award. And I was on a call with her in a meeting uh, about a week later, and she was saying just how much it meant to her, and as a way of meeting people and getting to know people. Actually, you know, internal awards, I think before the pandemic, we were a bit like, oh, right, okay, yeah, internal awards. Whereas I kind of felt like that had a bit more significance because there was this thing of, oh, that's that person. Yeah, they've done, that's, you know, it actually had a bit more relevance to them. Yeah, a bit of ownership in it, I think. And also, like, it it just kind of helps build that relationship, I think, which is quite different like I, I was saying to someone like I, I i genuinely like going back to the office i feel like i've re-engaged with so many people because before you had to like call people on teams and you kind of felt a bit intrusive and hannah's witness of this because i did it to her the other week where literally i'm just shouting across the office and you know kind of like trying to get someone's attention or have a chat whereas before like in the pandemic i used to hate it because you used to have to like message on like hi i need to talk to you can you talk at this time book a time in the diary i just want to have a chat about the football or you know want to have a chat about something or have a right moan and like you know you just can't do that anymore and i think a lot of people felt like they lost that communication with people yeah um you know and and, uh, you you started it actually dave very early on lockdown one do you remember you just used to call like a group at half ten there's yes. a group chat and we should just used to call it like coffee or something like a coffee cap it was it was everyone who was involved in tech talks so just it was, yeah that's you. it yeah yeah and and because literally man I, I was bored i hate being by myself it was crap and i don't care what people say like oh yeah you know i'm an introvert and all this i'm not i can't do it 
Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I do think that, that you have yet to quite learn the dynamic, though, that when you, we're back in the office now, pre-pandemic, pre-2020, if you were in the office, you weren't generally on meetings. You might be on yeah. a call, yeah. whereas now it's so like people are having genuine meetings with lots of people from different companies. Like there's so many more eyes in your office through each yeah. individual's screen. And it's yeah. so much more like, oh, okay, shouldn't walk behind there. Got to kind of, you're all. it's almost like you're always on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I literally did it today though, where I'm talking to somebody that's in one of our offices and I was talking about somebody not in a not in a bad way, just talking about somebody and they were facing that person, the person that I was talking <laughs> to. And they were like, yeah, 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 I totally get what you're, to- what you're talking about. And then they were like, like trying to, <laughs> obviously it's as hard to describe on a podcast, but they were like trying to sign language to me that they were literally making eye contact with the person I was obviously sp- speaking about. And it was a bit of a, oh gosh, I didn't even realise that they were there, but it just makes you so much more aware of all of the communication that happens without even realizing. And I don't have one of the, the the headset things. So sometimes it's a bit like a, so, you know, so-and-so, uh, can we just uh, say, so, yeah, I think it's happened yeah. quite a lot. The quiche is behind me. He's shouting. And <laughs> normally it's the other way around. It's like, is that a quiche bar? Do you tell him to shut up? He's so loud. We can't hear ourselves speak. <laughs> but yeah i don't know man it's just i i to be honest i i completely get it there is that awkwardness i think me and you faced it as well dave like i remember when we first started going back to the office people introduced themselves asking me if i was new i was like no 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 like you just haven't seen me (laughs) 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 i remember i won't name any names but this guy walked up to me hello there you must be new i'm so into i went nah mate i'm not new Uh, Yeah, he's like, I've not seen you in the office. I was like, you only been here two weeks, pal. Uh, so, but I, but I think it's uh, good. I think it's good. Like, yeah, you know that that awkwardness is there, but it also then helps just to break down some communication barriers. I guess. Have you listened to anything from? It's Brennan Brown, isn't it? What that the David mentions? Yeah. Mm. No, I haven't. I'll be she honest. Just some really interesting stuff on a couple of the podcasts. Yeah. You're not going to plug other podcasts on your podcast. No, why not? <laughs> plug another, plug another why podcast. not? We're an inclusive culture here. <laughs> Cardi Football Weekly, great show. Great show. Plug uh, away. Uh, BSND podcast, if you're uh, any cricket fans out there. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Don't know who's um, on that. No, nah, some Hosts are rubbish. Yeah, yeah. shit house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, but, but no, I haven't, but. Plug away, there's some really interesting stuff about you know us talking about inclusion and and how everybody's so different in how they think about things like things that I don't think are anxiety inducing can be really really challenging for some people so you know this whole mm. thing of like people coming back into the office never meeting some people before that you know us going back to communication why it is so key some people go why do we need this why is it so important but other people find it really tricky and really challenging in lots of different ways i wouldn't say that i found it tricky or challenging but it is weird going from a situation where you literally know everybody to a situation mm. where you're like oh there's quite a lot of people here that i don't know this is weird it's it, it is odd mm. and slightly unheard of for quite a, a number of people that may be in upper management not to stereotype them, but they would have come into their roles and come straight into an office dynamic 
most of them and never never really be able to relate to something like this of being like I've known somebody through a team's call and they're back to back and they've literally only got 15 minutes for me and then for me to literally go and bug them as much as I can in the office because it's such an easier learning environment and instead of me ringing them up and then having all of my questions written down which I've definitely done because you get conscious of people's time um I thought it was interesting though about how excited he is about the talent in Ireland Mm. I hadn't really thought of that like the stripe thing and him combining the EU and the US kind of dynamic I hadn't really thought about that but then like this is a humble brag, but I'm just going to do it anyway. But I was out skiing the other week. Um, oh, 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 middle class. <laughs> here, here we go. Can you get more middle class than that? Living <laughs> Wandsworth, I was out skiing and uh, I was late to this podcast. I had to go and get my coffee from down Jeez, the road. You can't say that I'm not on brand, so I'm just going to stick with the brand. So. All right, yeah, go, on, go um, on. So there was a couple of people out there that were part of the company that I did my ski season with, and they're all Irish now, and we used to never have any Irish people because they've all got EU passports. And like that talent them being drawn over to France and also all the other resorts and stuff. It just shows that I'm not saying that it's only talent because of their nationality, but I'm, it's just something that I'd never really clocked before, but obviously mm. it's, it's huge there as well. And then yeah. them saying about unicorns and stuff. As David says, yeah. you know, the talent is phenomenal. There's that word mm. again, but the competition is fierce. And that's the, that's the, I think that's 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 right when you think about Ireland and you think you know there are companies like like Stripe, and they've got a really exciting startup um, sector, but they've also got companies like Facebook in large numbers and yeah, like people are that's, also that's a tough the, environment for companies, isn't it? Yeah, and you're also forgetting the traditional huge powerhouses of the world, like the consultancies. They're all there, the big fours, um, banks, like. They, they've got a massive presence there. So, Akish, you're missing the most important one, though. What? Us. We're there as well. <laughs> <That's real. laughs> He's crying. I knew that. If only people could see the, the crossed arms and disgust <laughs> at the cheesy delivery. Weird. We are there. Harvey Dad, <laughs> Island. We are there. Sonia Curley, she runs a great ship. Um, yeah, we love her. On that note, uh, we will move into the second half of this podcast, but we will say to everyone in Ireland on Thursday, enjoy St. Patrick's Day. Um, second half of the podcast, slightly more, um, challenging subject. Uh, we're going to talk to Jim, uh, our CISO, Group CISO, um, Jim Tiller. He's going to be talking to us about cybersecurity in the Ukraine um, about what has led us to the situation that we find ourselves in now over a number of years, um, attacks on Ukraine from Russia, including NotPetya. Um, I have to admit, I was completely ignorant about a lot of this before reading a couple of articles last week and then deciding to jump on the phone and ask Jim to give some expert analysis of it. We've written an article, which is on our website. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to read that. Um, but Jim's got some really interesting insights. So the second half of the show, we will, um, go into that and, uh, yeah, to anyone that's listening, um, 
who obviously is affected by what's going on in Ukraine and its neighboring countries and or is in the UK and has family there. Um, well, I hope I hope that everyone is keeping as safe as they can. So anyway, before we start that interview, Akish uh, and Hannah, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm talking to Jim, who uh, is our group CISO. Uh, you were on the podcast probably only a month or so ago, at which point, Jim, you, you said to us, you know, geopolitical events could see an explosion of, of cyber activity um, in the Ukraine and in Eastern Europe. And obviously everyone is all too aware of the awful events that are unfolding in the Ukraine over the last two weeks. Um, and I read an article yesterday in The Guardian about how the tech community has rallied to the UK, Ukraine's cyber defense and uh, was keen to talk to you about this and, and get an expert view. So first of all, thank you for giving up time and, and talking to me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's a, it's a compelling, needless to say, it's a compelling conversation, even though, you know, as you alluded to, there are much bigger things to be worried about with the war in Ukraine, obviously, uh, in the physical space. But, you know, we've expected a lot to happen in the cyberspace, and maybe we haven't seen it necessarily at the level we sort of expected originally. But I think that's changing. I think we're going to start seeing more and more of it. And I think maybe, hopefully, when this when this conflict ends, we'll get more insights into what was really happening in some cases. But uh, yeah, thank you for having me. It's a very interesting topic and uh, lots to discuss. Yeah, look, I mean, your point about they feel like there are more pressing matters right now. Um, you know, obviously we're, we're seeing images of refugees. We're seeing images of, of bombed cities um, and it, it's hard to escape that. But at the same time, I do think there's an important conversation to be had because as you allude to, there, there's been a lead up to this. And I run a technology podcast and I'm largely ignorant of, of this stuff that's been going on. So over the past decade, the, the, the article referenced the fact that Ukraine has experienced many major cyber attacks, many or most of which have been attributed to Russia, from election interference in 2014 to NotPetya in 2017. What, what's been going on? Because not, NotPetya was not something I was aware of at all. What's, what's, the, um, what's the reality of, of what's actually been happening over the last five or 10 years? So I first want to comment, you're absolutely right. I mean, we see this and maybe it's just human nature, you know, things that sort of trickle through it doesn't necessarily escalate in our view and it's more of an, a, a not like a horrible novelty. It's like, Oh my gosh, what would happen? You know, and you think it's not going to happen again. And you start thinking of protective measures. Did we, could we have seen this coming in many ways? The answer is absolutely yes. Right. There's always been amazing amount of tension. Um, it's just unfortunate it escalated this level clearly, but yeah, like you said, it, even before 2014, but as we moved into the late teens, like 2017, like you mentioned, I pet you, I always found that very, uh, it's a very interesting story. And the short version is, is that it all started with a ransomware called Petya, essentially, and uh, attributed to the Russians, Sandworm specifically, uh, and that group, APT2829, Cozy Bear, you know, all these different code names for it. The, um, but during that time, uh, that ransomware is going to be used as a way of not necessarily ransoming computers, but using a way of encrypting data to bring them to their knees. So Petya was then weaponized, but it was weaponized with using, um, well, at the time it was unknown, but shadow brokers had was selling on the open market what they claimed to be NSA tools. And one of those tools out of the several that were used was called Eternal Blue. And um, 
it was a cyber weapon for all intents and purposes. And nobody bought it because nobody believed it. And then so they just released it out on the Internet and it became available to anybody. So that really spawned off a lot of type of arguably some really sophisticated capabilities. I mean, there were, I think, four, four or five zero days built into NotPetya, including these tools that were taking advantage in highly sophisticated capabilities. So the reason why it's called NotPetya is because it looked like Petya, but it was far more destructive. Um, and so it caused massive damage throughout the Ukraine and it rapidly leaked out. You know, famously, Maersk was affected by it, which, you know, actually caused traffic jams in New Jersey, massive traffic jams for days in New Jersey because of uh, a cyber weapon that was launched against Ukraine. It shut down Ukraine's economic system, grid. Um, it was highly destructive. And, um, you know, one could argue is when we look at what's happening today, um, which is not necessarily insignificant, but we haven't necessarily seen that type of disruption yet or that type of leakage, but not, not Peggy was um, kind of a seminal moment and i think that conflict and you know that was five years ago you know so we one could have argued that there was a lot to learn from that experience and strengthening that infrastructure you say that there, there was a lot to learn i think it's interesting because again looking at this article it talks about the fact that in response to the russian threat uh it talks about whispergate and 70 ukrainian government websites being taken down through um uh, unauthorized interference but it talks about an unprecedented effort by private and government entities and even individuals to support Ukraine's cyber resilience. Why, why have those lessons not been heeded over the last five years? Why has it taken to, I, I, I think it talks about Whispergate being kind of January this year mm. for, for action and there, there to be this, this community, this community kind of effort to try and help protect Ukraine. You know, it's hard to sort of characterize. I think, um, I, I know it's a terrible analogy, but, you know, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, tens of thousands of people die every day in car accidents, you know, sadly. Um, but we don't talk about it because, you know, it's just, it's just sort of ingrained and we sort of draw conclusions on what's happening or what could happen based on historical experiences. So we, we think, okay, well, it's not going to escalate. Look what happened in 2017 and so forth. It's just, it's just cyber war. But the, the fact that now we're seeing the um, cyber war being part of a much more kinetic type of activity and being more blended in that way, I think we could have learned from that. I think, I think governments did. I think the United States government, UK, different parts of the EU, there's been a lot of progress with regards to how governments and agencies have looked to strengthen security, have a builder build a tighter relationship with the private sector. Um, but to your point specifically is when we look at like even anonymous is saying we're gonna we're gonna attack you know uh, the Russians on behalf of Ukraine kind of thing. So you almost have this like pseudo criminal element getting involved in some ways. So there's a huge passionate response to that. Um, and it's interesting. I, I really believe hopefully this conflict will be over. We'll learn a lot and we'll find ways to encode a lot of this type of activity um, and to be able to create a better resilience in these type of situations, you know? Um, but I don't know why we didn't learn more. I think it, this will change how we view war in the future. At full stop. It'll completely change everything. Uh, hopefully when this comes to an end, but I think cyber now is clearly uh, on the frontal lobe of everybody 
um, whether or not you believe a lot of what's happened so far has been very impactful or not. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting listening to you talk there because obviously you, you mentioned that the UK and the US have, have strengthened in their response. Um, th- th- this this piece talks about responding to cyber attacks and building national cyber resilience has never been the sole responsibility of governments and it requires a whole of society approach ground uh, grounded in, in international cooperation uh, um, to, to, to kind of ward off attacks. It talks about uh, Whispergate and Microsoft sharing technical analysis on the tools and techniques shortly after that. What do you think the consequences of this might be beyond just people coming together and working uh, in, in, in closer collaboration? Do you, think, do you think any kind of agencies or any kind of regulation or any kind of policy might be formed off the back of this, or is it too early to say? I think wow, it's an excellent question. So first of all, Microsoft, uh, amazing research is being done on some of these threats that we're seeing. And so there's a lot of collaboration that you're seeing across these different organizations, including government agencies. So I think that's going to start, it's going to start building muscles, if you will, and connective tissues that were sort of preformed, but now they're strengthened through this sort of collaboration. So we're going to see a lot of upside to that in the very near term. Um, so we, I think things like regulations that are already sort of in motion, like DORA, which has to do with um, the EU and driving more expectations of security resilience within the financial sector for EU financial organizations. I think we're going to see, which is very focused on minimizing the impacts of things like ransomware uh, in a very cohesive way as a regulation EU law. I think we're going to see a lot of that accelerate rapidly. And I think... Um, I think when we talk about types of technologies that we recommend to organizations or process like multi-factor authentication and segmentation, we're going to see that become more built into cloud environments and infrastructure, making it easily, more easily obtainable for organizations. I really do think this is a, is a watershed moment in cyber. I really do. And then as, as a last question then, I suppose, what what do you think the learnings might be that could that could help shorten a conflict like this or stop a conflict like this i mean at the beginning of the of the article it talks about you know will the kremlin turn off ukraine's power will it dismantle their transport will they cut water will they target healthcare systems you know is it going to be cyber criminals acting as proxies for putin's regime and and i couldn't help but but look at kind of you know will the kremlin turn off ukraine's power and see just earlier today concerning reports about power needing you know a ceasefire around um, Chernobyl, um, because they needed to restore power, having 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 had power cuts to the reactor, and and them being concerned that the reactors might overheat. Um, that that would appear to be kind of cyber attacks on, on a very kind of physical with very physical consequences. And I, I suppose it's 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 this coming together and the strengthening of, of 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 our ability to to ward off these attacks that might dissuade. Um, a regime from going rogue and from having an illegal invasion because I suppose stronger defences might be able to cripple um, a, a country's ability to, to physically do this. Yeah, I think um, if I take what you say and sort of extrapolate a little bit, I think in some ways we have to also ask ourselves, what's our role in cyber war, right? So like I mentioned at the, at, earlier is... Um, we don't have visibility into what's happening in Russia from a cyber perspective, right? You know, there's global sanctions, you know, there's a lot of mobility uh, across the board. So you have to believe that there's a lot of 
probably structured and unstructured type of cyber attacks against Russia uh, into their infrastructure, which they're certainly not going to advertise. But I think we there's so much we can accomplish in cybersecurity by just, and I've said this a lot, is just getting the basics right and getting mm. that those fundamental pieces and strengthening that, which requires a much more higher degree of sophistication and AKA money and investment and time to build enough sophistication in your cyber weapons to have an effect to your point earlier. Right. And we're seeing like pockets of this. Um, there's companies, uh, I think it's like CrowdStrike, Ping, uh, Cloudflare have come together and have come up with uh, like free services to help you. Like here, if you can't get, you can't get some of the basics done, we'll help you. You know? So I think we're seeing this sort of a different view of how communally we're going to be working together to help bring everybody up because, you know, you know, uh, high tides raise all ships kind of thing. So I, I think, um, I think we're going to start seeing more emphasis on greater collaboration, more emphasis on taking the technology we have today and implementing it more effectively, more comprehensively. Um, but I think also just as a side there is I'll be very interested when this conflict is over to really get a visibility of what really happened to Russia from a mm. cyber perspective, but um, that's more of a a question you have to ask about what role do you want to play as the uh, as the offensive side of a cyber war against an enemy like that. But Jim, I, I want to say thanks because I appreciate it's not easy to answer questions um, about something that which is fast evolving with with news kind of um, kind of rolling and, and coming out all the time. As I mentioned, the, 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 the situation in Chernobyl has only developed today. So I really appreciate you you trying to answer these questions because it's a, it's a big old subject. But if someone is as ill-informed as I am, but they want to find out more about the subject and, and, and feel a little bit more versed, where would you point them in the direction of? Oh, my. Um, so I think... You know, if, if you go, I would start, there's some really good, depends on if you want to look at some of the technical aspects, but some really good research is being done like Microsoft's report, one, there's others out there that have done some really good work. Recorded Future does some amazing work from a threat analysis perspective, but there's some good sort of cybersecurity outlets of information that, that help kind of summarize these activities and then look for asking you know, for those organizations that are out there kind of wondering, well, what do we do? You know, probably start talking with maybe kind of the vendors you're working with today and seeing if they have some advice, but definitely stay on top of it because a lot of organizations and governments and here in the United States, we have CISA. There's a lot of effort being done at, at the government agency level and organizational level to get advice and support out there to help raise awareness and then help provide uh, at least minimally advice on steps that you can take today to greatly improve your resistance to at least some of the attacks that we're seeing today, which is really nothing more. Uh, it's a lot, don't get me wrong, but it's mostly kind of like not pet yet, but not nearly as sophisticated. It's using under the guise of ransomware to knock computers out. Um, but I think it has the potential to get much, much, much worse. Well, look, I, I really appreciate you um, taking the time to talk to us, as I've said, and I hope you enjoyed the rest of your day, uh, knowing that it's just coming up to lunchtime in the States. So <laughs> yes, thank, sir, you. thank you. Thank <laughs> you.